We're glad you're here. And tonight, we're going to be starting on chapter 12. Before we do, let's have a word of prayer together, shall we? Gracious Lord, how thankful we are for your blessings and mercies to us. Thank you for the book of Revelation, that we may know the times in which we live. Come into our hearts, O Lord, and fill us, that we may be your humble servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, I want to begin with a little review of what we talked about in chapter 11. In chapter 11, when we covered that, we covered quite a bit of material, and we find that the angel was measuring things. He was measuring the temple and the people and their worship, the type of worship they had. We also found that the court of the Gentiles was not to be measured because it was to be trodden underfoot for 42 months. 42 months, prophetically, equals 1,260 prophetic years. This was the time of papal supremacy. And then it talked about the two witnesses. Who are the two witnesses? There's a lot of discussion and debate on the identity of those. But as we learned last week, the scriptures itself leads us to believe that they are the Old and the New Testament, which was preached under hardship, hard times. It also talks about the two olive trees. They also, like the witnesses, they are the Old and New Testament. They are fueled by the oil of the Holy Spirit. And then it mentioned about one-tenth part of the nation's of falling. It was referring to France, which was one of the ten powers that brought down the old Roman Empire. France is referred to as Sodom and Egypt, which outlawed the Bible and religion for three and a half years before restoring it. And then the struggle between atheism and apostate religion would continue on till the time of the return of Christ. And we see that happening today, even in world politics. Then we talked about the seventh trumpet. It blows announcing the return of the Father and the Son in power and glory to reign forever. It also mentioned the millennium, when the wicked are to be judged and punished. So that kind of brings us up to the end times. As we move into chapter 12 tonight, There are basically four themes that are brought out in this 12th chapter. The activities of the prince of evil against the government of God and his people are presented in a panorama before John. And from this, he draws basically four parts. The first, it talks about the origin of sin and the beginning of the controversy in heaven. Secondly, the attack on Christ when he lived among men. Thirdly, the persecution of the church in the subsequent centuries. And finally, the fourth one, the final war on the remnant people of God. So this covers the an outline, what this chapter is referring to. Let's move into it. We find that we 
remember there's 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. We finished last week, we finished chapter 11. So we're, we're actually more than halfway through the book of Revelation. The chapters that follow give remarkable detail about the final struggle between the forces of good and evil. We call it the great controversy. The final victory of the church. The overthrow of Satan and his hosts. The complete establishment of God's kingdom upon earth. These things are the climax of the book of Revelation. So let's look at it. The first thing it starts talking about is the woman. The woman is extremely important. As we look at verse 12, 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Hmm. Strange. Could this be literal? Do people actually walk around with a crown of twelve stars? Can, can she really be standing on the moon and having the sun be her robe? I think not. It's, it's referring to the symbolic language that the book of Revelation refers to. As we look at this, we need to understand what those things represent. The glorious arrayed woman with the sun as her garment. By the way, the garment of the righteous is the righteousness of Christ. The pure white robe. And here we see it as bright as the sun. And notice that the moon, she's, it's under her feet as a footstool. And there are 12 stars in the crown. This is, in some way, the most attractive of all the uh, prophetic symbols. A woman in prophecy represents a church. The pure, true church of God is represented as a virtuous woman. And there's, I'll read the text for you for the sake of the recording. Jeremiah 6, 2, Isaiah 54, 5 and 6, Hosea 2, 19 and 20, John 3, 29, 2 Corinthians 11, 2, Revelation 19, 7 and 8 all refer to that. Now, if there's a pure woman, there's also an impure woman that's brought out in the book of Revelation. She is sometimes called the whore of Babylon. This represents an apostate, corrupt church. And it's represented by a lewd woman. You see this in Revelation 17, 1 through 5, Jeremiah 3, verses 1 and 8, Ezekiel 16, 26 through 29, and Isaiah 50, verse 1. So we have these two characters representing the quality of, of Christianity, the quality of the people of the last days who profess to be religious. Let's look at the sun and the moon. The moon has no light of its own. It shines by reflected light, reflected glory from the sun. And so it is also with the church. We have no light in ourselves, but merely we reflect the glory of Christ. The Son, uh, He is the Son of Righteousness, and we are to reflect that glory. 
This was beautifully revealed in the ancient Hebrew sanctuary service, which was only a shadow of the good things to come, according to Hebrews 10.1. Just as coming events cast their shadow before, so the cross of Christ casts a long shadow. It reaches from Eden all the way to Calvary, all pointing forward to the coming of the seed that was promised to Adam and Eve. Let's take a look at the 12 stars. The crown is a symbol of royalty. And we find that the church is called to be a priesthood of believers. Why? Because we are to intercede and pray for people. We are trying to encourage them to be faithful and to be ready for the kingdom. That's what a priest is supposed to do. First Peter 2.9 speaks of that. And then the, this number 12 appears so much. 12 is the number for heaven. And we look here. We find that there are 12 tribes in the Old Testament church. And there are 12 apostles in the New Testament church. There are 12 foundations in the New Jerusalem, 12 gates to the city, and there will be 12 thrones in the church triumphant, Matthew 19, 27, 28, and Luke 22, verses 28 through 30. They all speak of these things. So we find that that number is very interesting. Bible numerology is very interesting. Those numbers have a lot to tell us. Look at chapter 12, verse 2 now. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. In the Old Testament, from the time of Adam onward, their hope was in the coming of a child. That child was called the seed of the woman. And we find that The first gospel is found in the Old Testament. It's Genesis 3.15. And we find that even then, it predicts that the devil would take the first strike against the Messiah, who would eventually crush his head. And so we find that this child was the one that they were constantly pointing forward to. This is what the whole sacrificial system The whole sanctuary system was about. It was to point forward to the coming of the Messiah. This is what the festival days all were pointing to. They were pointing, telling different things, different uh, descriptions of the work of that Messiah who was to come and his character. And so we find that Looking forward to the coming of this child. Now we see in chapter 12, the child's about to be born. And guess what? Who's there to greet him? It's the devil who tries to destroy him. In Genesis 3.15, we find that the first promise of a coming redeemer is given. Eve seems to have uh, thought that Cain was that promised one. In Spurl's uh, translation, it reads this way in Genesis 4.1. I have obtained a man, Jehovah, 
That's how he translated it. I have, I have obtained a man, Jehovah. Notice that Eve was taking the credit for it. It was God who provided the seed, the lamb. That's why the name Seth is so important. Because when wicked Cain, he could not deliver Adam and Eve, who are now lost without hope. And Abel couldn't because he wasn't Abel, right? He's dead, okay? So now they have no deliverer. But yet God promised that he would send a seed. He would put a seed there. He would take the initiative to put a redeemer there. How long Adam and Eve had to wait, we don't know. But finally, one day, Eve delivered a little boy by the name of Seth. And the name Seth means put. That's what it means. It means put. Who put it there? God put it there. But notice, when Cain was born, Eve tried to take the credit for it. You see, that way she could be a co-deliverer. She could also be a co-redeemer if she did it. But no, God did it. And he's the one that gets the glory for it. Through all the ages, the devout children of God were looking for the coming Savior. That's what the whole Old Testament is about. They're looking to be redeemed. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. God is operating on a time scale. As a matter of fact, He's operating by these uh, prophecies, these time prophecies in the Old Testament. And we find that Jesus, when he was walking around on earth, he was following Daniel's time prophecies. Isn't that interesting? Many of the ancient Hebrew rabbis recognized this. Matter of fact, I picked up a book at a library sale today in which the, the Jewish author is pointing to the fact that Jesus was following this time prophecy. So we find here that in the fullness of time, in God's good time, he brought it forth. That's why it says of the devil, the devil knows his time is short. That's why he's carrying on the way he is, trying to destroy anything from coming to God, including you and me. Look at verse 3. And there appeared a wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. Now it's interesting here, the scene changes a little bit. He was looking at the woman just a couple of verses ago. But now he's looking at something else. He's looking at this great red dragon. I wonder who that could be. And really weird, he had seven heads with ten horns. And there were seven crowns on his head. When my wife and I were over in um, Thailand, was it Thailand or Cambodia? It was in Thailand. We actually went to visit a Buddhist temple. It had a long staircase with a naga. Naga is a 
a serpent for railings. When you get down to the bottom, there was a big dragon head. And it had seven heads on it. I said to myself as soon as I looked at it, the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, you see. And so we find here that in this symbolism, we find that God tells us who the dragon is. He'll tell us. The dragon is clearly stated to be the devil in verse 9. But in his attack upon God's people, he has always worked through earthly persecuting powers, such as in ancient Egypt, in pagan Rome. The devil used governments to do his dirty work for him. And both of these are represented in scriptures by the same symbol. Look at Ezekiel 29, 2-4 for more on that. Now let's take a look at these heads and crowns and horns. First off, the seven heads. Basically, after the children of Israel got into their own land, not while they were still slaves in, in Egypt, but after they got into the promised land, we find that there were powers that tried to defeat them as a nation. Now, this listing is a little different than I've seen in some other areas. But notice, Assyria. Assyria tried to persecute God's people. Matter of fact, it took ten tribes into captivity. We find that Egypt, as Assyria was beginning to fall, the Egyptians came in, and they also persecuted God's people. And then Babylon, it destroys the Jewish homeland, and it destroys the temple of God and the people of God, the city of God, and takes them into captivity. We find that the Medo-Persians, remember Queen Esther? And how Haman wanted to wipe them out? They persecuted God's people. The Greeks have persecuted. Remember Antiochus Epiphanes? We've mentioned him before. He was during the time of the Greeks. And what about Romans? Under Diocletian and um, a number of other emperors. The Romans tried to persecute him. Now notice here, this author lumps papal Rome and pagan Rome under one terminology, Rome. I've seen some who divide it. But also we find in the last days, we find that even the United States will take its stand promoting worldwide, promoting a false Sabbath, false commandments, and uh, supporting the beast in his power. That's why this is listed this way. Notice this particular quotation comes from the book or is referred to in the book. Desire of Ages, page 77. Why these nations, and in this order, when the Hebrew people left Egypt, they were an independent nation. So whatever nation from that time removes the independence 
or attempts to bring Israel, literal or spiritual, into bondage becomes one of Satan's persecuting heads. As to the order in which the heads appear, one authority writes, it was Jeremiah's lot to witness the death of his country, beginning his career with the tottering Assyrian Empire. It relaxed its grip on its former holdings. In 40 short years, Jeremiah saw it fall victim to the imperial ambitions, first of Egypt, then of Babylon, before finally watching it destroy itself in a futile attempt to get free from the latter. John Bright is the one who made that statement. What about the ten horns? All right, notice the ten horns. A horn usually indicates a sign of uh, authority or uh, one who is reigning. Ten horns appear on the beast in Revelation 13 and 17. And apparently they're identical with the ten horns of the nondescript beast of Daniel 7, which symbolized Rome's division into ten kingdoms. And we find that the seven crowns, these crowns symbolize that they are the ruling agents through which Satan works. These are the ones who gain the upper hand and persecute the people of God. Revelation 12, 4. Now again, it's turning back to the dragon. The scene is shifted a little bit more. Here we start getting into the history of this dragon that we were talking about. And it says that his tail, speaking of the dragon, drew a third part of the angels of heaven. When Satan was kicked out of heaven, he took with him one-third of all the angels of heaven. Now, it's awfully hard for us to conceive that in a perfect heaven, that's where sin rose up. It, it rose up because there was an angel who was given the power of choice just like you have and I have. He was given the power of choice, but he chose to follow himself his own pride, he got the best of him. He was too big for his britches. He wanted to promote himself from being the head over the angels, head of the chief angel, to becoming God himself. Of course, angels are created. God is not. He couldn't do that. And yet, he would try to bring down anything related to God even taking a third of the angels with him. And it says, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Stars referring here as messengers or the angels. And did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Oh, we think of the wise men and the shepherds and so forth being there when the baby Jesus was born. But don't forget, the devil was there too. He was there ready, waiting for the baby Jesus to be born. Because already he was determined to have the first strike. 
and to try to put Jesus to death by biting his heel. And notice, Satan took one-third of the angels of heaven when he fell and threw Herod, who was the agent for the Roman Empire, he was ready to kill the baby Jesus. Revelation 12.5. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now, a rod of iron is actually an old term for a scepter. A scepter is what a king or queen holds as a symbol of their uh, authority and power. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Notice caught up. You know what that word caught up is? It's rapture. That's where the word rapture comes from, you see. Jesus was caught up and raptured to heaven. Was it secretly? It wasn't a very good secret because not only were his apostles there, but there were a whole group of people there when he ascended to heaven. They saw him go up. Nothing secret about it. So it says that at his ascension, after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven. Now, this is all part of a big war that took place. What happened at the cross, what happened at the birth of Jesus, was only one of the scenes in this great war that's going on. The war between good and evil, between Satan and God. And we find that now we're moving into this great controversy or conflict. Jesus was raptured to heaven after his resurrection. No longer could the devil persecute him. No longer could he get at him and touch him. And so Satan turns his fury. If he can't turn it at Jesus, he turns it to his disciples. And he persecutes them. Look at verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. Uh Aha, 1,260 days. Isn't that 42 months? We just talked about that. 42 months equates to 1,260 days. And a day in prophecy is for a year. So 1,260 years, the time of papal supremacy, when the people of God were persecuted. First, they were persecuted under pagan Rome, but now pagan Rome is baptized and becomes Christian pagan Rome. And we find that they persecuted those who oppose their teachings. Before before the rise or before papal supremacy, as I mentioned last week, the Bible was already translated into 400 languages. But once papal supremacy took over, they reduced it down to one language, Latin. A language that was dying or dead already among the people. 
Many of the priests couldn't even read it. They only memorized certain parts of it. And so it's locked up, chained up in churches and libraries and so forth. It's not accessible to the people that they could check anything with it. And there was war in heaven. Now notice it says, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, right? All right, now, if a dragon here is symbolic, then it must be that the name Michael has a symbolic meaning. What does the name Michael mean? It means the one like God. That's what the name Michael means. If you're fortunate to have that as your name, you better live up to what you're advertising. Right? The one who is like God. Who only is like God? Jesus, right? Now, to you, he's Jesus, which means the Savior. But angels don't need a Savior, you see. They are either saved or they're lost. They either got kicked out of heaven or they're still with him. Right? So, therefore, the term Savior doesn't have the same impact. But Michael does. Because Michael is the archangel. Now, many people believe that the term archangel means the highest of the angels. Not so. The term archangel means the head over the angels. Angels are created beings. But the head over the angels is not a created being. President Obama is president of the United States to the civilians. But he is commander and chief of the armed forces. Even if he'd never served a day in the military, he's still the head over the generals. And so we find that Michael, the one who is like God, he's the one over the angels. That's why when he comes back in the clouds, this is the same Jesus who went up, comes back in the clouds, it says he speaks with the voice of the archangel. What's he saying? He's commanding the angels. He's telling Satan and his cohorts, back off, get away from those graves. Get away from my saved. And he's saying to the angels of God, your guardian angel, there they are. Go get them and bring them here that where I am, they may be also. And so we find that Michael and his angels fought against Satan and the evil angels. And what happened? The evil angels prevailed not in verse 8. Neither was their place found anymore for them in heaven. They were dangerous to have in heaven. Their presence in heaven would be like a cancer. It would be malignant. It would constantly grow until all of God's creation would have crumbled. So God, in his mercy, surgically removes them. Now, notice he doesn't kill them. 
Satan says, I can rule better than you can. You know, we angels, we're pretty, we're, we're pretty good. We were perfect. We don't need the law of God to tell us what to do. We are a law unto ourselves. And God says, you think you can rule better than I? You see, there were still sympathizers who think, well, maybe Satan's got a point. God says, okay, somewhere out there, there's a little planet. Go set up your kingdom and see how it goes. My friends, didn't Satan do a marvelous job ruling on this earth? All of you perfect people who are here tonight don't have any troubles, don't have any problems, because Satan's in charge. You see, he thought that he could rule better than God. But history bears it out differently. And so God surgically has to remove him. And he says, I'm going to give you a certain amount of time to put up or shut up. He says it nicer than I do. Okay, but the devil knows that his time is short. He's running out of time because Jesus is going to come back again. And he and all those who choose to be with him are going to be judged for their actions. And so the criminal mind, I know when I was giving studies in in the... um, Vermont State Prison, I noticed something very quickly. Everybody in that prison was innocent. They all had crooked lawyers or the witnesses uh, were out to get them or the judge didn't like them. They were all innocent except for one man. He says, I'm guilty, I did it, and I have to pay the consequences. But you see, the devil... He knows he doesn't have much time and he has a typical criminal mind. He says, if I can't have it, nobody's going to have it. That's the vandal mind. I'm going to destroy it so that nobody else can use it. And so he kicks holes in nature. He kicks holes in, in people's lives just to destroy it so that they cannot be used for God. Look at verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil. Now see how the Bible interprets itself? It just defined who the devil is. He's cast out. I mean the dragon is. He's cast out. That old serpent called the devil or Satan. Which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Christ here is the same as Messiah. It means the anointed one. The power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Now, Satan, before he fell, what was his name? It was Lucifer, right? The light bearer, the one who brought light. He still would like to be called that, but he can't. 
when his character changed, his name changed. He is now called Satan, which means the accuser of the brethren. If you are one who has made a habit of going around making accusations against people, you better watch out. You're not in good company. You've got to make a few changes before it's too late, you see. And so he's called the accuser of the brother. Now, this idea of changing names is not uncommon in the Bible. You see, a name is actually a description in most cases. Just like Lucifer meant the light bearer, and he became Satan, the accuser. We find that Jacob, which meant the deceiver, the trickster, he was changed to Israel, who is a prince with God, you see. And so God wants to change our names. I don't know how many Bobs there are in the world, but I'm sure that when we get in the kingdom, I'll have a name that matches my character that no one else has because no one else will have the exact same character. What about you? You see. And so we find here, I heard a voice saying in heaven, speaking with a loud voice, now is come salvation. Now comes the Savior. Now comes the one who will buy back. To buy something back means to redeem it. That's what it means. What happened? The earth was originally God's. It was God gave dominion of the earth to Adam. He says, Adam, this whole world, you're the governor. When Adam chose to sin, he signed his office over to Satan. That's why Satan says, I can walk up and down in the earth where I jolly well please, referring to the book of Job when he appeared in the courts of heaven. Because I'm the prince of this world. But you see, at the cross, Jesus redeemed, he bought back what was originally his in the first place. He bought back his own property. And thus comes the book of Ruth. He bought back the property, the land. He bought back the people. He raised up an inheritance of people for God that would bear his name, that would bear his character. And it also, part of the kinsman's responsibility was to be the avenger for the one who had been murdered. And thus he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So Jesus is playing the part of the Goel. He's playing the part of the Redeemer. And it's all a part of his responsibility. Now notice something else here. It says, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. All right, he's constantly picking out your faults. You know, he has no trouble. I give him plenty of ammunition. 
right? All right. But notice it says he was cast down. So some people say, well, Satan wasn't kicked out of heaven until uh, the cross. Not so. Not so. You see, Satan is cast out or cast down. He's cast three different times. The first time, he's booted out of heaven. The second time, you see, he still could go to that council that we find in the book of Job because he was representing the earth. He was the prince of the earth. But at the cross, we find that Jesus paid the price. The penalty for sin is death. Jesus paid the price, and he bought back the earth. So Satan no longer could go to those councils in heaven. He could no longer try to get sympathy from any of the rest of creation. He was cast down to this earth. And you know, it's interesting that when Jesus comes back again, the redeemed will be taken up with him. Boy, Satan would really like to go with us. He would really rather trade earth for heaven again. But uh uh-uh, he's cast down to the bottomless pit, which is the empty, barren earth. So Satan loses three times, you see. And that's even before his destruction. And so we find that as we look at this, it now changes scene a little bit more. And we see the beast out of the earth. What's this talking about? And they overcame him with the blood of the lamb. They overcame whom? They overcame the devil with the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. We say that we love God. And we're perhaps picked on by people because we try to stand up for truth. But you know something, folks? I don't think too many of us have reached the point where we have been persecuted unto death. Not too many of us have given everything. But you know what? The day is coming. The days ahead of us. I think of many of these people in the Middle East who are suffering. I believe that many of them are modern day martyrs. I don't know if, I'm, I'm not going to say who gets in heaven and who doesn't, but if we get up there and we have an opportunity to find John, uh, John Fox up there who wrote the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I bet he has a volume two. Volume one was the martyrs in the past. But I bet there's going to be a volume two, the martyrs of the last days. Those who had to stand up against the beast in his image, even at the cost of their lives. Even when their families turned against them. When their friends turned against them. When they lost their job. When they lost everything. You see, they loved not their lives unto death. 
That's the way it was with the early church. And you must remember that history does repeat itself. In the words of good old King Solomon, there's nothing new under the sun. It just changes a little bit with the time. And look at chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, when he got kicked out of the courts of the United Nations of the planets, that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. So he turns to the woman who gave birth to the male child. Jesus was a Jew. And the people of the Old Testament, they were the Hebrew people who were looking forward to the light of the Messiah to come, represented by the moon. He came from that heritage. And they had been looking for him. And when he came forth, even his own people didn't accept him. Now, I've got to be careful here. But the, I'm saying the Jewish leaders and the Jewish unbelievers did not ex- believe him or accept him. But there were many of the Jews who did. As a matter of fact, that's the reason why the Pharisees were afraid of Jesus. Because half of Jerusalem had accepted him as the Messiah and believed on him. And they were afraid to do anything to Jesus lest the people rise up against them. We find that the scripture tells us that there were priests who even believed in him as the Messiah. So we need to be careful when we classify all people together. It's like saying all Americans believe the same thing. Not all Americans do, you see. And we need to be careful of that. Anyway, notice that the woman representing the believers, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Eagle, the king of the birds. Why? So that she could swiftly fly away from the persecutions. And we find that the Waldenses had to flee to the mountains to escape papal persecutions. They even followed them there. We find that the pilgrims first went over to Holland. The Puritans went over to Holland to escape persecution. And then they began to find that their kids were becoming too Dutch. They were adopting Dutch customs and even Dutch religion. And they needed to get out of there, so they went back to England. They couldn't stay there. So they had to flee to the wilderness to get away. Whether one is a Gentile or a Jew, the devil's going after them. During the Inquisition in 1492, who sailed the ocean blue? Right? Matter of fact, isn't it Monday? That's Columbus Day? Yeah. A lot of people don't talk too much about Chris anymore. But 
Columbus Day was very important, especially to the Jews. Because the Jews only had one month to get out of Spain before the Spanish took over everything and took all their property. And if they weren't gone to one country or another, they would be persecuted and put to death. Some of those Jews went down and got on board with Chris and came to the New World. Some of them went up into Portugal and they were able to stay there for another year or two. But the thing is, Ferdinand and Isabella, their daughter was married to the king of Portugal. And so the Spanish Inquisition about a year or two later, spread up into Portugal. And the same thing happened. The Jews had to get out. So, where did they go? They went down to Brazil. You see. Some of them went up into Holland. Some of them went to Denmark. And the Danes and the Dutch, especially the Danes, through history, have been the Jews' best friends. They're the ones that protected them when nobody else would. But some of them came down into Brazil. Why? Because Brazil was a Portuguese territory. And they began to thrive there until the church expanded its influence down into Portugal. They had to get out of there They were deported to go back to the Inquisition in Portugal. But one of the ships got lost. Lost accidentally, on purpose, who knows. But it got lost in a storm. And the French uh, confiscated this ship. And they took the Jews aboard the French ship. And they took all their property and put it on the ship. And since it was a long way to Europe, it was closer to this place called North America. And so the French came to a port called New Amsterdam, which was a Dutch colony. That Dutch colony we know today as New York. You see. And when they got off the ship, the French says, we want our pay for transporting these people here. And the Dutch says, we don't, we're not going to pay you. All right, we'll just keep their property. The Jews couldn't pay them. They didn't have any money. We'll keep their property and we'll have a public auction. You know what the Dutch did? The Dutch in New York, they got together and they said, okay, let's have an auction. So they took all the property of the Jews that they had confiscated. They had a public auction. And they bid on the property. And finally, they bought it all back from the French. And then the Dutch turned around and gave all the property back to the Jews. And they said, we'll even give you a part of New York that nobody wants. And you can settle there. That place where they settled 
is now called Wall Street. You see how God, through the Spanish Inquisition and the Portuguese Inquisition, had a big impact upon America. You see, they were fleeing from persecution from the Spanish Inquisition. The devil was out to get the Jewish believers as much as he was out to get the Gentile believers. The devil is an equal opportunity persecutor. He doesn't care if you're male, female, Jew, or Gentile. He will persecute you. And so, the woman was given wings and she fled. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. That she might fly into the wilderness. Now, a wilderness is an area where there's not too many people, right? Over in the old world, there were a lot of people. It was inhabited. Well, this new world, there were Indians here, but there weren't too many other people. And so, here, they would find a land where there was no king and there was no pope. And thus we find, both by the way, the Jews also, they were happy to find a land where there were no rabbis and there were no king. And thus came up Reformed Judaism, as well as the Protestant churches when they had thrown off many of the authorities of the past. And so she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Time, times, and half a time. The Walden Seas in the 11 and 1200s, they had to flee. And we find that during the Reformation, there were those who had to flee. We find that the pilgrims had to flee. We find the Jews had to flee. Everybody wants to get away from the dragon beast. And time, time, half time. Now, a time is a year. A Hebrew year is 360 days. You may say, well, hey, I, I thought there were 365 days in a year. Yeah, but you know, we make a calendar adjustment every so often, don't we? Every four years we throw in an extra day called what? Leap year, right? All right, the Jews, they would, you know, after a while, if you were planting your crops in a snowbank, you'd know it would be time to do something. So what happened was the Jews periodically would throw in an extra month. It was called second Adar. Adar is the name of one of their months. They would have another month after it called second Adar. And that's how they would adjust their calendars. But their, their calendar was 360 days. So if that's 360 is a time, times means two time. So two times would be 720 days, right? All right. A half a time, what's half of 360? 180. So you add up 180, 360, 720, and guess what you get? 
you get the same thing, 1260. That's 42 months. You see, these time periods are being given different numbers, but they all are just talking about the same thing. Now, I told you before, when something's mentioned in the Bible over here, and the same thing is mentioned over here, and the same thing is mentioned over here, those thoughts are connected, you see. And so we find the 42 months, the 1260, and the time times and half time are all talking about the same thing. It's the age of papal supremacy, the time when people were persecuted for their faith. They were sold into slavery. They lost everything. The church, interestingly enough, was in control. And the church will say, well, we never persecuted anybody. Of course not. Neither did Satan. He worked through powers. He worked through governments. And we find that the church, remember the woman, a church, rides the beast. The beast being the government, right? And so we find working through governments, millions of people were persecuted and put to death. All in the name of religion. Isn't it interesting that when the world was being ruled by the church, it was called the Dark Ages? Shouldn't it be called the Light Ages? My friends, I want you to know, I personally believe, after looking at some of the things happening in Russia and the United States today, I believe the world is taking a giant step backwards to the Dark Ages. We are facing a new dark ages when you can no longer proselytize. You can no longer convert people. You dare not share with them the gospel lest you find yourself in prison or worse. And so we find that Jesus is pointing his people forward and said in in spite of hardship, go forward in faith. And even if he had to send them to a new world where he had to send them to a place in the wilderness, he did it to preserve his word and to preserve his people. Look at verse 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Right now, Down in Florida, with this Hurricane Matthew coming, there's a lot of people who are afraid of being carried away in a flood, right? All right, what's it do? It brings destruction. Now, I don't know how many serpents spit water out of their mouth. So this must be symbolic, right? We know who the serpent is. That's the devil. What is the flood? Remember, water represents people. And what does he do? He sends his armies after God's people. He hunts them down and he persecutes them. If it were possible, he would have destroyed them completely, washed them away in a flood. Look at verse 16. And the earth helped the woman. The new world helped the woman. Why? Because there's a big, wide ocean between Europe and the United States. And the influence that they had in the old world, they did not have in the new world. 
And so we find that the earth helped the woman, or the wilderness helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had cast out of his mouth. The armies couldn't come over here. They couldn't persecute. I would like to say that will never happen, but it may happen again. The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now notice, many people are asking today, how do we know what the truth is? Nobody knows the truth. No church has the whole truth. But you know, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. Didn't he? And if any man would know what is truth, let him ask, and I will show it to him. Show it to him from what? From the word of God. Show it to him from his commandments. The commandments are the transcript of the character of God. Jesus was the transcript of the character of God. And God's people will not be inconsistent with his commandments. And it says, this is the identifying mark of God's people in the last days. It's not that they can speak in tongues. It's not that they can perform miracles, that they can heal. It's not that they can preach or evangelize. And yes, we are to love one another. I, uh, I will qualify that because that also reflects the character of God. But it's more than, than being united around love. It's being united around truth. It's being united around the truth of God. That's where unity comes. The ecumenical movement today would say, well, let's put aside our doctrinal differences and just unite about what we can agree on. And let's all just kind of believe the same thing. You can be united like that. They did that at the Tower of Babel. Didn't they? They were very united. But it wasn't around truth. Truth matters. There are absolutes in uh, religion and in scriptures. There are those today who would have us to believe that everything is relative. You know, it doesn't matter what Bob believes and it doesn't matter what you believe. It's all right if you believe different things. You know, because what's good for you may not be good for you, right? Well, God says it does matter what we believe. It does matter where the absolutes are. That's why so many churches are making mistakes today. And notice it says that the rest of their offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. All ten of the commandments. They don't pick and choose. You see. And it says the testimony of Jesus. Now later on, in a later chapter, it will define itself what the testimony of Jesus is. But we find that the scripture will tell us the testimony of Jesus is the 
spirit of prophecy. It will define itself. The testimony of Jesus, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But there are two signs of God's people in the last days. They have the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. The testimony about Jesus and the gift of prophecy as revealed through the prophets. Ancient and more modern. A true prophet will not contradict the former prophets. Will not go contrary to the word of God. Isaiah 8.20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, there is no light in them. And I don't care how good a person or influential a person is, if he is trying to teach you, or she is trying to teach you something that's not in harmony with the testimony of Jesus or the commandments of God, that person is an antichrist and is not a true believer. We find that God is drawing his people from all over the world, every tongue, nation, and people, It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter your economic or social standing. God is going to draw people everywhere. What's it based on? It's based on their faith, on their trust in God. If you truly trust in God, you will come out of the Babylonian confusion and you will come into the light of his gospel and keep His commandments. These are the identifying marks of the people of God in the last days. And he will teach you the truth that you need to know. Verse 17. Notice what it says. It says, the remnant keep the commandments of God. What's a remnant? It's the leftover from the original batch they will have the same type of Christian experience that the first church had. And you know what? They may even be persecuted like the first church was for standing up for what they believe. If you stand for nothing, you probably don't believe much, right? And so we find that God is calling a people from all over. And my friends, he's calling us to lift him up and to lift up his, his word, his commandments, to a world who says it doesn't matter anymore. They are outdated. We need a modern manifestation of the commandments of God. I was talking to a person just yesterday, giving a Bible study to a young man who says, I have the Holy Spirit in me. I am God. I believe that God puts his Holy Spirit into us. But when you say you are God, that means you can have your own commandments. You see, that is relativism and not absolutes. And so we find that God is calling a people to be a people who have a connection with God. This is why we need to come to him daily. This is what Revelation 12 is all about. These are the people who will be persecuted. 
Why? Because our very lives slap the unbeliever in the face. They may admire us, but they're saying, you make us uncomfortable. Did you ever smoke? And you, you gave up smoking. Did you ever notice it wasn't long before your circle of friends did one of two things? Either they tried to bring you back to it because they didn't want you to be better than they were, or they began to leave you and pull away from you. If they persecuted Jesus, what makes us think they won't persecute us too? But if we remain true, if Christ is lifted up in our lives, he says he will draw all men unto himself. And you can be a magnet for Jesus. He will send to you the ones who are sincere and really want to know. And so, my friends, God is calling his people in these last days to take the testimony, the witnesses, the Old and New Testament, take them to the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, calling our people out of the world into the truth of God's word so that they may flee the dragon. You know what? The dragon's a loser. I've read the back of the book. He loses. Let's not lose with him. Let's be winners for Christ.